The case I chose for our first episode is known as one of the most brutal massacres in Detroit and on a street that had people thinking the street is just straight up cursed. The case I'm talking about is the St. Alban Massacre of 1929, where a man and his family were brutally murdered in their home in the middle of the night. But before we get into that, I want to tell you more about Benny Evangelist to get an idea on how big the suspect list got in this unsolved murder. Benny Evangelist, born as Benjamino Evangelista, was born in Naples, Italy in 1885. Around 1904, when Benny was about 19 years old, he and his brother Antonio moved to the United States and settled in Philadelphia. And after living there for about two years, Benny started to claim he was having these visions from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. every night. Benny told his brother Antonio about this, and instantly he disowned him. See, they were raised as Catholics, and claiming to be claiming to have visions didn't support their Catholic views. So, disowned from his brother, Benny moves to York, Pennsylvania, where he meets a man by the name of Angelino Aurelius. Together, they both take up an interest in his cult-like behavior, and I kind of feel like Benny really clicked with this guy, too, because his brother just recently disowned him. He's all alone, and here comes this guy who's ready to indulge in all this criminal, this cult-like behavior with him right. with no judgment. But this friendship quickly ends, though, when Angelino, murder, Angelino murders his two children with an axe. Oh, he, took it, he took his stuff far. Very far. He went all the way there. All the way, Leah, like— didn't didn't stop. Uh, he was sent to an insane asylum where he later escapes and he was never seen or heard from again. You know, like typical going to a story. They disappear. Yeah. I really don't know if it plays a part in his case later on. So who knows? Because the case went unsolved. So I don't know if this just really bothered Benny or he was just ready to move on with his life. But either way, Benny moves to Detroit, and this is where the case takes place. Once in Detroit, Benny begins his new life with his wife, Santino, and their four children. And I actually have a picture of the kids where you can look at, Leah. And the pictures will be posted on our website as well, where you guys can check it out. Any pictures? pictures? As well as the transcript from our episode and any links that you might be interested in. Yep, and all our resources are where we got all of our information. And if you look in a picture, uh, Santino and Benny, they got like these smirks. It's just kind of like a, yeah. it's kind of a, like a creepy picture. Creepy I want to say the kids look really serious in the picture. It's just it's a black and white. It it's family like. Yeah, but hey, it's the Evangelist family. So what can you if do? I took a picture. If I still like this in my family picture, we have to do it over. Oh yeah, definitely. Like. <laughs> Like they wouldn't sure. let this. They wouldn't send this out to anyone. Yeah, it, I don't think that'd be the Christmas picture, no. the Christmas card picture we would use. But uh, <laughs> so once in Detroit, Benny get, begins his life with his wife and his family, and he begins work as a carpenter, and he also jumps straight into real estate. Although Benny moved to a new state, his visions and interest in cults followed him as well. He started a cult by the name, you ready for this? The Union Federation of America. Oh. Yeah. Weird name for a cult, and it sounds a lot like a bank, to be honest. Fancy. But, hey. Benny started to do these psychic healings for as high as $10 a reading, which was two days' pay on the Chrysler assembly line back then. And that's as high as $146 today. Oh, he was making money. He was making bank. 
He even started to call himself a prophet, and he would give these religious demonstrations on the streets to spread his word, quote unquote. And honestly, most of his money did come from this prophet gig he had going on. He published a book called The Oldest History of the World Discovered by Occult Science. And I'm really starting to believe that this guy just really isn't good with names. No, <laughs> no. So the book was to be one out of four volumes, but no record of their other book, like of any other books, was found of it. So who knows? The book covered 4,000 years before the first father, Adam, to 1,000 years after the birth of Adam. And from some of the reviews I've seen about the book, it was a bunch of mumble jumbo and... Sounds like it. Yeah, along with the crazy name, a lot of other people must have felt the same way back then because the book didn't do too good. And when police went back to look through their houses, look through, well, look through his house, they found boxes in a basement of over a thousand copies of he his really book. He thought it was going to He did. Like, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big confident. commitment to do a thousand right there. He like, confident. I at least do 50. Yeah. <laughs> that's, Just to start. Just to start. So supposedly the book was made up of the nighttime visions I told you about that he had from 12 in the morning to 3 in the morning every night, which later it was revealed that Benny didn't even write this book. When detectives went in to find... Who would write something like that? I don't know. But when they went in the house, (laughs) they found a note discussing like the details and stuff like that of like, oh, yeah, I wrote... Yeah, like, you know, I guess like message, like letters of correspondence of them talking about it. And I actually did read a little of the book. I And I can't even, I feel like I'm, it's an overstatement to say I read the book because, like, I read some of it because I couldn't keep up to, with it, Aaliyah, at all. Like, I, I started to read it and then I was like, my head was literally all over the place. And it was like, I can't do this. So... Something that did creep me out about this book, though, from what I could read, was in the preface it read, I mean to complete my work if I live. And. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why, but that just, it really shook me. Like, <laughs> like, like he just knew. Yeah, it sounds morbid, don't it? I'm like, am I being paranoid yeah, nah, to think he, that, like. He just knew. Yeah, like, that sounds. He knew his time was coming. That, yeah, no. So, <laughs> another thing that shook me about this book is that one of the characters in a book, which he referred to as his Bible, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Typical. Wrenched the head of the antagonist from his shoulders and hurled it at his feet, a fate that Benny himself will also face, too. So, despite the book sales, at the age of 43, Benny is doing pretty good for himself. He moved him and his family to this nice green and white painted house on St. Albans Street, and we actually got a picture of that, too. And I don't know. I don't know if like because the picture it like it's a lot of people yeah. in the streets. So I don't know if it was like maybe one of his religious demonstrations or maybe after Probably. the death or something. Like I don't know, but it's an arrow, small arrow pointing to the exact house. Yeah, and from what I see, the house looks really nice though. It like it it's looks a like big, it, nice house. It looks like it can pass as a two family flat. Like yeah, that's how huge possibly. it looks. Yeah. So it's a really beautiful home. Yeah. So. Instead of jumping straight into it, let's start the evening before the massacre. It's July 2nd, and Benny is meeting with the demolition company about some lumber from a house that was recently torn down on Herbert Avenue. Once the meeting was over, Benny returns home and tells his watchman, along with two other associates, that he's expecting a delivery the next morning around 7 in the morning, and that he will also pay for the lumber then once it arrives. So let me add in that if Vinny was going to pay for this lumber once it arrived that next morning, it was most likely that he had the large sum of cash on him because right. seven in the morning, there's no bank that's open at that time. 
at all. At all. Like even to the even now, there's no You're bank that's open that early. ATM, but they yes. didn't have plastic back then. So around eight nine p.m. ish, Benny mentions to the watchman that the site was about a sixty mile trip to Benny's home which at the time the watchman felt was kind of strange for a delivery to be made at such short notice. The watchman doesn't question this, but I kind of wonder if after the fact, like after all this happened, did he like wonder, like, should I press for more information, like try to get more out of him about it? So the night goes on into the neighbors. It was a typical night on their street until the next morning when the gruesome discovery was made. Around 10.30 a.m., Vincent Elias one of Benny's associates, arrives at the evangelist's home, ready to take care of a transaction on a property with Benny. Vincent knocks on a door, but there's no answer. He notices the door is unlocked, and he makes his way into the house, calling out to Benny and his family. But Vincent wasn't prepared for what he was about to see as he goes deeper into the house. See, Benny's office faced the front door, so it really didn't take Vincent long to get to it. He gets to Benny's office, opens the door, and there inside he finds Benny sitting behind his desk. He's fully dressed with his hands placed in his lap and his head sitting between his legs at his feet. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty morbid. Yeah. Around Benny's decapitated body were three large poster-sized pictures of a young boy in a casket, which later was revealed that it was Benny's older son who had passed away a few years back. And I read somewhere that having pictures like this in the home was kind of like a common thing back then. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, so I'm like, don't quote on me on it because like <laughs> I'm not really sure. Like if that was like I don't, I don't know. But yeah, and it it kind of is. Like I wouldn't want anything like that in in my house. In the house, no, yeah. So. Once Vincent sees all this, he flees out of the home and calls the police immediately. Now, this is something that really irritated me when I was reading into this case. And I know I mentioned it to you a thousand times. I also mentioned it to my sister Chanel a thousand times. But somehow word spread that through the neighborhood that Benny, this big prophet, had been killed. And people stormed the crime scene trying to get a firsthand look at what happened. Now, I'm like, I get it. I'm in a true crime. I love yeah. stuff like that. But then also, I'm not going to go. But then I also respect the scene enough to be like, okay, I know police got to work. You know, they got to do their yeah, work here. Yeah, you just can't just go in like, all right, let me get my first pick. And I kind of yeah, feel like that's kind of what was happening. Like, people was probably thinking, like, what can I get my hands on? Like, this is yeah. a, he, he was making good money for himself. So it's like. Yeah. Everybody just showing up to see what, yeah. they, what they can get. So by the time the police did get on the scene, the whole thing was contaminated. People pretty much treated this crime scene like it was some walkthrough museum. Yeah. And something we'll 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 never really know how much evidence we lost, like you know, was lost because of that. But all I know for sure is it definitely worked out in the favor for the killer. So when police did arrive arrive on the scene, they weren't expecting to see what they seen that day. So remember how I told you how Benny's body was found with his head sitting at his feet? Yeah. The police go upstairs to where the remainder of the family would have been. In the bedroom, Benny's wife, Santino, was found hanging slightly off the bed. Her head was severely mutilated and was only hanging on by a strip of flesh. 
In her arms lays the youngest child whose head was bashed in so bad to the point you couldn't even recognize him. In the room next to the master bedroom was where the three girls' room was. Margaret and Jean, who I think were the younger sisters, were found in their bed with their heads bashed in just like the youngest. And Angeline, who I think was the oldest sister, was found on the floor near the door with her arm hacked off. They just took out everybody. Yeah. And see, my thing is, it was like, the, I don't get the kid. The kid. Yeah. And I kind of have a theory that she might have been trying to fight off the attacker or she might have been trying to, like, you know, she probably heard something and she tried to escape. With the other yeah, because of the placement of her body. Because it's like, you know, they were still in their beds, yeah. most likely sleeping still. So, or she might have been getting up to go to the bathroom or, the bathroom. yeah. So, the only evidence police were able to take from this scene was a bloody fingerprint on the doorknob and a bloody footprint leaving Benny's office and heading towards the stairway where the bedrooms were. The police checked the house for anything that might be missing, but they noticed nothing. And everything seemed to be accounted for, all except for one thing. Remember how Benny said he was going to pay for the lumber that morning when it came? Police couldn't find a, yeah, police couldn't find a large sum of money. That would have been used to make that payment. Yeah. And remember, I told you, it's not like he was going to the bank the next cold. morning. Yeah. And you know what's even more suspicious? The delivery truck Benny said would be there at 7 that morning never showed never up. Showed up? Mm-mm. So he, was he set up? And they, he thought it was a delivery truck? He was up waiting for the truck while the rest And see, that's why I'm pretty sure. Feet. I think that some people started, like, reasoning with, like, you know, started, like, trying to think, like, okay, well, maybe, like... Someone was targeting him because it was not like, I mean, if he went around calling himself a prophet, like, yeah. you must be making some coin. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like maybe it was, it could have been a setup. So the police didn't have much evidence to go on, but they were able to start a list of potential suspects to get them started. The police questioned Vincent Elias, who found, you know, who made the discovery to see if there may have been any involvement on his end, but he was quickly released. The next on the list was the companion who went with Benny to the lumber site to make the deal. But he was also released when he didn't have much information to give as well. Like, bare minimum information, Liam. Bare minimum. (laughs) So detectives wanted to learn more about the delivery company that was supposed to bring the lumber that morning and never showed up. Benny never mentioned the name of the company. And the guy who police investigated, he knew absolutely nothing. So was there so, ever a lumber company to And that's what I started thinking of. Like, if the guy's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, was did you guys even really go to a meeting? Like, right. yeah, like, was it what like, happened? yeah, like, I don't know. Because I, I can't sit there like me and you go somewhere and I just don't know. Absolutely. Like, I don't Absolutely I don't pick nothing. up a name or something like a. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you don't even have to be like you don't know where a true was. crime addict to feel like that. Right. Like, you know, you just you you just hear stuff. It's like you 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 should pay attention to your surroundings. Yeah. And that should be a number one rule. Pay attention <laughs> to your surroundings. Cause I, was it a McDonald's next door? Was it off a freeway? Was it busy? Was it just a dirt road? Like Yeah, like where were you? Do you have a description on the guys he talked to? Like nothing. So it was practically impossible trying to trace this company. And even after efforts through the media to find this company, no one ever turned themselves up, like turned themselves in, which makes me really think, like, was there even a delivery company to, you know, to begin with? 
So police did struggle with cooperation from the community. Despite the hundreds of people Benny served, the community was made up of Italian immigrants, and they wanted to stay away from that kind of attention from the police. So detectives then thought, what if there was a similar case to this one? And if so, that will give him a little more insight in some kind of uh, direction on where to go. Because at this point, they're at a standstill. Yeah. The murder of the Sapinski family happened a few days before the Evangelist Massacre. And the style in which both families were killed, they said were kind of similar. And police actually ended up finding the killer to the Sapinski uh, case. And they tested his fingerprint to see if it was a match to the one they had found on it. Yeah, at the scene. But that wasn't a match. So detectives look more into the Evangelist home to see if they can uncover anything else. They end up finding a few notes threatening Benny for money from a group called Black Hand. And the most recent note sent was dated six months before the massacre. So I did some research into some Black Hand because they actually mentioned Black Hand like a, quite a few times in the case. Yeah, not just in the case, but when I was like even looking up articles, they kept mentioning mm-hmm. this group as well. And so I found out that Black Hand was a criminal group who prayed after wealthy Italian immigrants for money. Two detectives with insight on Black Hand ended up joining the team weeks later to assist with the case and give insight. Crude extortion was outdated by the time of the massacre, and Black Hand had moved on to more organized ways of handling their business. <laughs> more organized ways. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's crazy, though? Like, they really, like, it was really, like, put, like, you know, no, like, we've, 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 we've moved on. We, we don't do upgraded. that no more. That's not us. <laughs> it's beneath me now. Thank you. It's above me. <laughs> so uh, this was a dead end as well because they're like, this isn't even a way that they handle things. So once again, with no luck, police sits back, sit back and they think. The funeral. Most likely, who killed the evangelist family will we'll attend. The, the yeah, they most likely are going to go to the funeral. And that's something that. In like a mocking way. Like, yeah. Like mm-hmm, even if they just want to relive it or something or just like. Just see how it turns. Like, but that's something yeah, that police really do rely on. Like, even that's a yeah. tech, like a thing they use to this day. So, the police will just have to set up officers throughout the funeral and look out for anyone that acts suspicious. Right? This was a lot easier said than done, yeah. because around three thousand people attended the evangelist funeral. Aaliyah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have to because he was he was popular. And see, but Benny didn't even know. Like many of these people, they really just wanted to get a glimpse of like heard about it and wanted to be. Yeah, like they wanted to see the family that was plastered across every newspaper every morning. And the fact is, like Leah, this was literally like across the nation because there were articles all the way in California talking about this case. Yeah, something that happened in Michigan, like completely different sides. So police ended up making an arrest. A guy who they say seemed overly excited for the occasion, which mm-hmm. I kind of I really sat there and I was trying to think, like, how does that look? Right. A person excited to be at a funeral. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, was he like, how did they pick him out? What was he doing? Like, I don't know. Was he doing like a ha- Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. So when they questioned the guy, they quickly realized that he knew nothing about the case at all. Yeah. So now the next suspect was actually arrested the morning of the massacre with his friend, who I'll talk about later. 34-year-old Angelo DePoli was a frequent visitor of the evangelist home. 
Angelo and his friend actually was at the home the evening before the massacre. Remember I told you he came back and told two yeah. associates? Mm-hmm. So when questioned about this, Angelo tells the detectives that he and his friend went to grab a drink afterwards. And the alibi was solid. People at the bar said that they seen them. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they stayed there from, like, you know, around the time period that they said, though. But crazy part is, the poli and the friend I'll get into later, they lived together. So once they left out, they became each other's alibi. Wow. Yeah. So it worked out. Yeah. For, and, well, for, for them. them. Yeah, for them. So Not police search. Cases, Great. So police search Angelo's home, which he shared with the friend I was telling you about. And police finds an axe with an unknown stain on it. They weren't right. sure. Yeah, they weren't sure, though, if the stain was blood or if it could have been rust. Right. So the owner of the home actually scuffed at the idea of it being used in a slaying because he said the axe had been lying in the barn for two years now. And he was like, it can't even cut butter. <laughs> he was like, so he was like, you guys, this is like dead end. Like, trust me. It, Let it go. Yeah, pretty much. So. The poli was held in custody for a few days and then turned over to he was turned over to immigration authorities. Now, Angelo's friend, 42 year old Umberto Tecchio, who I'm going to refer to as Tecchio because it's a lot easier for me to yeah. say. Um, he was arrested as well. And for the first time in the case, Aaliyah, detectives finally felt like they had their guy. Like. Everyone was like, OK, no, this makes sense. <laughs> Signed, sealed, delivered. We got our guy finally. So the reason why, I'm going to tell you why they thought he was, though, and this is crazy to me. The reason they thought he was, they were so sure it was him. Just three months before the massacre, he knifed his brother-in-law. And was he convicted for it? In the words of Pete the Cat, goodness, no. He was not. Like, he got off. Somehow he got off. Me and my kid was reading that book on Friday. It's kind of stuck in my head right now. Yep. And then I came home and revised this. <laughs> so he um, ended up knifing his brother-in-law. But I, I think it was more so like uh, defending his sister. Yeah, I think it was like an abuse situation and stuff. But it was just enough it's for people fact. to be like, hey, he got it in him to, to do this. Yeah. So... People said that Tekio was a scary man anyway, like, before all this even happened. Mm-hmm. And people actually were scared of this guy. So when Tekio was confronted by detectives, he just told them he was at the evangelist's home to take care of a transaction. And then he grabbed a few drinks afterwards and then went home with an, with um, Angelo. But someone did place Tekio at the house again at a later time. Weeks after the investigation, a paperboy comes forward with information. Supposedly, during his route that early morning, he seen someone who looked a lot like Tekio leaving the house. The paperboy tried to call out the Tekio, but he disappeared into the night. When detectives asked if he noticed any blood on Tekio, and the paperboy said, no, not really, he looked pretty clean, just kind of just brushed me off and like, you know, walked off when I called after him. This isn't what police wanted. This is not what they wanted to hear. Of course not. Because if he did the massacre, why wouldn't he be covered in blood? But at the same time, Aaliyah, I can't shake why someone who had nothing to do with the massacre at all would be at the house that early. Because you think about it, paper boys is going out like 
What time did he go out? Four or five? Early. early, yeah. I mean, possibly he could have been the one because we tried to figure out where he was getting the money from that early in the morning. Maybe that's what the money was. You going. know what? I never thought of that. Like maybe dropping off money mm-hmm. to him, though. That's, yeah, that's true. But still, that timing, though, Aaliyah, like... Yeah, it's just weird. It is. It's, like, the t- not, like, even if he was dropping money, because there's been times where I didn't, like, my mom been like, hey, I'm about to bring this to you. Like, you know, like, it's been random hours, like, stuff yeah, like that happens where you'd be like, I'm out now on my way to work. Because when I was going to work at 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, that's when the paper boy was out. That's when they were out. It used to scare us, like, going out and seeing the car <laughs> stopping every couple hours. It's like, what is going on? They realized it was yeah. But, yeah, that's really early in the morning. No, that is true, though. But I don't, yeah, I guess. But, no, but seeing, like, I don't know, because I'm thinking about, like, when what time the murders would have had to actually occur. If you're leaving the house at that time, then... You're saying, like, okay, we're saying, like, given that time period, like, 5 to 6 where the paper boy is out. Mm-hmm. So you mean to tell me between 7 in the morning to 10.30 a.m. when they were discovered, they were killed. I feel like it's more active at that time period than it would be at, yeah. you know, later hours of the night from, like, 3 to what's the name. And then, if you remember, Benny said that every night he sat at his desk and had these visions from God from 12 to 3. So if he was still at his desk. I feel like it might have had to happen around that time, you know, around that time period. So it's really not like when you put it that way, it don't sound good against Tekio. But at the same time, like you can see where like a little bit like I don't want to admit it, but you can see where he was like, no, but I got this going on. Right. So it was it was kind of it was kind of hard. So I also kind of thought about the fact that remember how they said that Tekio was a feared man. It'd be nothing to scare a little paper it boy just scare him off. Yeah. and be like, hey, go to the police and tell him you seen me. I wasn't cu-. like, you know, like give him a good, a, a, you know, give him an alibi or something like that. Like, or even if he saw them or even if the paper boy saw mm-hmm. like, you didn't see nothing. Right. Or like you didn't see as much as you seen. If you go right. say you seen something <laughs> like type stuff go like, ahead and tell, yeah, but don't tell him what you really saw. Right. Like if you're going to tell something, it, it better not mess me up. Right. So. I know your route. I know your route. So with no evidence and no confession, police let Tekio go. Of Of course. He later died in 1934. And if he was really the guy that did it, that secret died with him too. Police entertained the thought that it might be a rival cult and that it might have done a massacre due to jealousy of Benny's success. But that was also a dead end too. Another theory was that the downriver killer confided in Benny about the killings and afterwards became fearful. Benny might betray him. He then returns back to the family and murders them to keep, you know, his secret safe. Mm-hmm. Like, he was trying to steal all loose ends. Yeah. But this was just a theory, and there was never any connection made to this. The case starts to go cold again, and so detectives get an anonymous tip leading them to a tailor in Lansing. The tailor then revealed to them that Benny was actually scared of one of his patients. Supposedly, and I'm I'm kind of stuck on the fact that they referred to them as patients. Yeah. Like I, he, was, he was just this hero. Yeah, because the thing is, though, they did say that he used to sell these quote-unquote love potions and stuff. 
And like he could practice medicine as long as he didn't prescribe medicine. I don't even and I didn't I tried to look into it like how do you how does that work? How does that work? If somebody know how that work and they explain that to me cuz I'm like I just don't I don't get it. But so I guess this is see I guess I kind of see why they call it patience, but Still no, you not you not no. Not a doctor. He actually had a family doctor. So if you really believe that you was like healing people, would you have a family doctor? No, I'll keep it in the family. <laughs> We're not spending that extra money. Thank you. So it was just weird that they called, they referred to them as like, you know, the people he serviced as patients. So supposedly a woman had received services from Benny and she was advised to leave her husband. Obviously, this made her husband really mad and he might have been trying to get revenge for it. The tailor couldn't give Benny a na- give a name and Benny had serviced and ripped off a lot of people so that it literally could have been anyone in Detroit at that time. <laughs> So once again, Leah, the case goes cold. And so detectives think, all right, let's reach out to Benny's brother to see if he knows anything. And this isn't the brother Antonio. Apparently he has a brother named Louis that lives here as well. So Louis had actually fled Detroit three years prior to the massacre, fearing vengeance from one of the friends of Felice Argento. Felice was shot during a bad deal with, guess who? Black Hand. Of course. Yep. So... Louis suggested that maybe they went after Benny and his family when they couldn't find Louis anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, like, if this was, like, a situation or knock on wood, but, like, and I'm, like, somebody's looking it's after me. Bad. And, like, yeah, like, can you imagine how guilty his brother's conscience is with thinking, like, wow, what if I had a yeah. part in that? Like, you know, they were trying to get me and. They got my brother. Yeah, and his entire, entire family, family Aaliyah, like. The baby as well. So, like every other suspect, this too was another dead end, and police were no closer to finding out who was responsible for taking the lives of this family. And with all of these people brought in for questioning, the fingerprint found on the doorknob was never matched to anyone. And to be honest, Leah, with the public having access to the crime scene the way they did, it could have been a spectator, too. So it's like we were so set on, like, think about it, how many people didn't went off because I said the fingerprint didn't match. The fingerprint didn't match. Yeah. What if that wasn't even a fact? Like, what if that wasn't a, like that wasn't even the killer's fingerprint? Somebody yeah. And the thing is, you could have you probably had your killer in custody already or like you don't yeah. know. But that's what happens when you contaminate a, a crime scene. So. Although police did receive an anonymous tip that the murder weapon was in a suitcase in the house, which I'll get into, that turned up to be a fake. And the murder weapon was never found. Wow. Yeah, so it was, well, even with the tip, though, and I kind of found it was kind of weird. So in the um, articles I was reading, one um, one news, whatever, news company, they uh, they published this article and they had this, like, psychic. And he was giving them, like, a reading, like... Oh, I feel like the evangelist kill family killer is going to end up. He's going his his uh heart is so heavy right now. He's going to confess to it. Honestly, right. I wonder if they looked into him as a suspect. Right. Now that I'm okay, saying yeah. this out loud, right? So he was just saying like all this stuff, and like the guy will come for like even announced him as a guy. So took out females in the right. equation, and was like the guy is going to come forward because he just feels so guilty about it. So it could have been him himself who was. Writing the exactly. So the crazy part is after that, he was saying like he, he even gave them a time period. Like 
and at the end of this month, like he really was like, the case is going to be solved in a month. Like, don't worry, you guys. It, they're gonna the person's gonna turn themselves so in. We got this. They didn't look into him at all. No, and they did not look into him at all. Okay. Which yeah, which is crazy because it was like. So he ended up telling police, yeah, he was like, you guys are going to find a murder weapon and all this other stuff. And so time goes by after that article is posted. And then police get an anonymous tip to check a certain street for the knife. And it's going to be in a suitcase or the the axe that was used. And it was going to be in a suitcase. So police check, which is another irritating moment for me. The police checked every house on the block except for two. I have no idea. And I was like, did you not want to go through and get a search warrant? Like, what happened? What, yeah, what happened? Because if, like, you can't really sit there and be like, okay, yeah, there was a dead, if you didn't check everywhere. Like, yeah, that's, you didn't check everywhere. But I also kind of thought about the fact that what if the guy who had that psychic reading said, like, he probably sent in that note because. At this point, so you're starting to make me person. look bad. Like, you know, he came out with this big prediction, like, right. this case is going to be solved. And remember, this case is going cold. Like, they're getting dead in after mm-hmm. dead end. So it's like. What happened? Yeah. So, you know, cause, so I kind of think about that, too. Honestly, I just kind of feel like it was just too much. It was too much going on in this case where it was just, like, so much stuff. Like, so much stuff where the killer probably didn't even have to think this through. But so much just worked out in his favor anyway. Yeah. So. As time passes with no answers, police begin to come up with their own theories of what happened. And one of those theories was that Vinny staged his entire death. His head found at his feet supported this. And remember how I mentioned that in Vinny's book, the antagonist's head was cut off and hurled at his feet. That seems like just too... Or it could have just been somebody that read See, and I thought about that too. So, that, and that's why I was saying, like, he could have staged it where he could have been like, you know, like, it could have been a killer that was like a, a client of his that's seeking revenge and be like, I'm going to use that against uh-huh. you. But then they were all saying, like, you know, maybe he paid someone to be like, do this. But with this theory, I don't oh, get why the rest that. of the family was killed. Unless you hire somebody and they took it too far. They took it too far. Right. So that was one theory. Maybe the daughter who was out of her bed saw it and they had to get everybody you know what that's actually a really I never thought I even consider that cause don't know why she was out of her bed was she mm-hmm. just going back into her room was she coming out of her room no that that's actually a really good point so I just really couldn't see someone taking the charade that far and the fact that Benny still went to Catholic church like up till the you know the day of the massacre is supported that he really didn't even believe in what he was so called preaching to people though because I, I don't know I kind of I, I I can't see it so it just seems like a far reach for me and also they were able to interview the um the priest and yeah they were able to talk to him and they were saying that he actually the uh, evangelist family had came over that week prior. And he was like, Benny was just acting really strange. He was just like distant, not acting like himself. You know, like you just like mm-hmm. something's on his mind or something like that. So he didn't think anything of it and just kind of like, you know, let it go and stuff. But also like the Watchmen in the beginning, I kind of feel like these people kind of went back and regretted like not pushing a little yeah, more. Exactly. Because I know this time, like even in like, like we know each other, but like you kind of get when you're like, all right, now something is really, yeah, something is bothering you. 
and I need to I need you to tell me like at least right. yeah like something's alright or it's like alright nah it could just be you know a little mood she's in if we go to Starbucks on Thursdays for a meeting and I don't get a drink you know it's something wrong <laughs> if I don't get a croissant then it's definitely <laughs> something wrong with me and you should be checking my temperature <laughs> Because those right there are life. <laughs> yeah. So um, that really just seemed really far-fetched to me. And, like, with the priest saying, like, he was acting kind of strange, it might have really been, like, a client of his. Something. Yeah, a client of his that might, like, he really was worried about. Like, or it could have been that. Maybe from that note, he knew maybe the time was coming from that threatening that note is from true. six months ago. Maybe mm-hmm. he knew, like, maybe they discussed it but like, beside the Beyond the note. That is true. Because it's like, we just found a note. Like, you don't know. Like, right. it's been times where I've gotten things and I've thrown it away because I'm like, I don't need that negative energy around right. me. So it's like, you, you don't know what happened. Exactly. Beyond that note. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's very true. So another theory, and for some reason, Leah, I believe that this might have been what happened, even though this is definitely a reach too. I know. So, remember Benny's friend, Angelino, who killed his kids with an axe and was sent to the insane asylum? Yeah, the one who they never found again. So, I told you that he escaped and he was never heard from again. Mm-hmm. And some believe that Angelino escaped and once out, he heard of Benny's success with his cult. Angelino's life is a mess now. Like, yeah. yeah. He ruined his life. Well, yeah, he, ru- he ruined him himself. But, you know, sometimes yeah. people really, like, it's... They really ha- have a hard time accepting he was jealous that, at that yeah, so he's mad. And he's like, you know, Benny's out here living a life that we spent hours that talking we about we're going to do. Like, yeah, on. like. And he's doing it on his own. Meanwhile, my life is completely ruined. Exactly. That's like if we both talk about doing this podcast and then. One of us just go off and do it on our own. And then, yeah. And then, and then like, I'm like, I'm sitting there looking salty and stuff. Like, so you just going to do this and you doing right? good. Right. <laughs> so he is filled with rage angelino makes his way to detroit where he kills the evangelist family in a similar style in which he killed his very own family this could also explain the person in paperboy claims he seen leaving the evangelist home early that morning who had he thought was techio and it would also explain why the man didn't respond and scattered off when he called out because maybe that was never even his name. But we will never really know what happened that night in the evangelist's home. And the home was torn down a few years back, but some say the lot is still hunted by a headless man who wanders the lot. And we got a picture of how the lot looks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's honestly, like, Compared to the first picture, because it's a, a picture next to each other. Mm-hmm. Compared to the first picture, the neighborhood looks so lively and stuff. And like, I can honestly believe that that it's lot is no, haunted. It it's looks no more houses. On it's not like it's some in the far back, yeah, and it's like two of them. But that could be like the next street over. The houses that were all together in the first picture, none of them are there anymore. Exactly. So it's just like it looks really. It does. It looks very haunted. It looks really. It just look. It looks empty. It looks mm-hmm. really empty. Like. I've drove past the street. It's just, it's just, it's empty. Like, (laughs) like I can't even like really pinpoint like where the house was because I was just like, I I think it's there. Like I'm holding a picture up to it and I'm like, but it's also, it was snowing that day. So it's kind of hard, but yeah, it looks completely different. 
And so this was the first massacre that occurred on the street, but it was definitely not the last massacre that took place on this street as well. And that's why a lot of people believe that the street is cursed because all this stuff just, yeah, and it doesn't make it any better when you claim that there's a headless man walking around a lot and stuff too. So it doesn't really, you know, help the case. But a lot of people do believe that this street is cursed. And if you guys want me to go into more about that massacre, which was like a lot more recent than 1929 <laughs> uh i can definitely do that and we can um you guys can let us know if you want to hear that so this is the end of shelby's first case the st Albert massacre well the first st Albert massacre apparently and it left me interested. It makes me want to go do my own research on it later. But, I mean, I do have my own cases. To yeah, so, yeah, no, if you want, you can just look at the notes. <laughs> yeah, I just read over Shelby's notes Just, just read over mine. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it was definitely, like, a lot of weird things about this case that kind of just, like. Just left. Yeah, and then you remember, I live by myself. So, yeah, you know how hard it is reading this over and over again and <laughs> going to sleep. Right. So we want to thank you all so much for tuning in and for all the support we've received so far. Since we've started promoting our podcast, I get so many people who come up to me and tell me about a case they'd like to hear. And I really try to remember, but I got a lot going on in my head, like the Baby Shark song has been stuck in my head for about three weeks now. <laughs> baby Shark is no longer allowed at daycare. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could have restrictions. <laughs> but if you want to give us a suggestion, you can go on our website, under contact us and you can leave your suggestion and it makes it easier to give you all the cases that you guys want and our website is www.crimeinthemitten.com and please rate and leave us a review so we can know how we did also be sure to follow and like our facebook instagram and twitter page for updates and clues for the next case at crime in the mitten as well Yep. All of those links are at the bottom of the page of our website, which again, www.crimeinthemitten.com. Signed out XOXO.